on a sandy riverbank in the jungle in Ecuador on a Sunday morning in 1956, Jim Elliott and four other missionaries were murdered by a bloodthirsty tribe. People were shocked, and the news of their death made headlines all over the world. To many people, their, their death seemed like a waste of their lives and, and a foolish mistake. These men died, leaving their husband, I mean their wives and their children, um, who have to adjust to life without their husbands and fathers. But, but what really gets me is what happens afterwards. Sometime later, Jim's wife Elizabeth went back to that tribe who killed her husband and over time led the men that murdered her husband and the entire tribe to surrender their lives to the Lord. God's economy blows my mind. I'm, I'm overwhelmed by it. God can take the most difficult of situations, the most horrendous and dark things of this world, and turn them around completely. Paul speaks to this in Romans 8, 28, when he says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purposes. This is an incredibly beautiful aspect of God, that He works the hardships and the trials of believers' lives together into something good, something that serves His purposes and glorifies Him, that reveals His hand to us and to the world. It's important to remember, the bad news can, can overwhelm us. Racial division, riots, political arguments, spewing hate, a global pandemic, and even right here with our pastor catching COVID, it can seem like one bad thing after another. But we have good news. Good news that we need to remember and the world around us needs to hear. We learn throughout his word that God makes his best work out of the worst situations. He delights in doing this kind of work. In taking broken and messed up situations and restoring them and redeeming them and using them for good and for his purposes and for his glory. It's easy to focus on the problems when instead we need to fix our attention on the only real solution to all this mess. Jesus, who is working all things together for good for those who love him and live their lives surrendered to God's purposes. This morning, we're going to learn of one such example of God working in this way. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 8, and we're going to be continuing our study series for Missions Month, entitled, You Shall Be My Witnesses. Last week, we discussed God's ministry through Peter to the Jews. This week, we'll focus on God's ministry through the scattered, scattered faithful to Samaria and the lessons that we learn from this work. As you're turning to Acts 8, let me give you some context. These events happen on the heels of the death of Stephen. You'll read about Stephen in your, in this, your reading this week. He was one of the great leaders of the church in Jerusalem in the first century. When the apostles needed help 
caring for and, and leading the Christians in Jerusalem, we're told that they selected seven men full of the Holy Spirit and full of grace and power and wisdom, men of integrity, spiritually solid. And we learn in Acts 6 that they had thousands to choose from, but Stephen was at the top of that list. There was not a better or more godly leader than him. He was a champion for Christ. And as we learn in Acts 6, that not only was he actively involved in pouring himself into the people of the church, but he was at work throughout Jerusalem, making Christ known. We learn in Acts 5 that the Christians in Jerusalem, while they'd been told of, uh, by the Jewish religious leaders not to preach Christ, we're told that they filled Jerusalem with this teaching. And Stephen had played a big part of this. He took the gospel to Jewish outsiders like himself, those who were not originally from, from Palestine. Apparently, he traveled around to different synagogues uh, speaking and preaching the message of Christ to anyone and everyone he came in contact with, which made the leaders of these synagogues furious. They charged Stephen with blasphemy against Moses and God, the law and the temple, the four pillars of Judaism in the first century. And while Stephen defended himself against these charges in Acts 7, he turned the table on his accusers at the end of his sermon, and he accused them of blaspheming God because they had rejected and killed his man, his Messiah, his son, the Lord Jesus. He called them stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. He said to them, you are the ones who have rejected God because you have betrayed and murdered the righteous one, God's Messiah, the Lord Jesus. Stephen was a bold man, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, a champion for the cause of Christ. But his boldness got him into trouble, trouble with these religious leaders. And they wanted to kill him. You would think that like God delivered Peter and John and others from prison in a miraculous way. You would think that he would do the same thing for Stephen here. You'd think he would, they, he would rescue Stephen from this situation so that he could lead God's people and do this great mission of spreading God's gospel. The message out of Jerusalem and into Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But we learn at the end of Acts 7 that that's not what happens. After Stephen says these things, this great champion for Christ loses his life. He's dragged out of the city and stoned to death. This great champion of Christ loses his life after a very short time in ministry. And think about this, this had to be devastating for the church. Their leader, he was an example, this great man of faith gets killed before the gospel even leaves Jerusalem. Talk about a dark and difficult time. This is it. And after Stephen is killed, we're told that persecution broke out everywhere, all over Jerusalem, led by a zealous Jew named Saul. In Acts 7, 58, we learn that those who stoned Stephen, they laid their garments at Saul's feet. 
Luke also tells us in Acts 8.1 that Saul approved of the execution of Stephen. This is a trying time in the church. But what we're going to learn today is that while, while God allows great persecution to take place, he works in and through it to take his message of salvation out of Jerusalem and into the world. He makes a great work out of a horrible situation. He uses persecution to spread his gospel. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 8 this morning. And I want you to notice three things. First, notice the great persecution of the faithful, the great work of the faithful, and the great fruits of the faithful. First, notice the great persecution of the faithful. Look at verses 1 through 3. Luke says... And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they are all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. We learn here that, that things go from bad to worse for God's people. After the death of Stephen, this had been brewing some, for some time with the occasional arrest of, of Peter and John and followers of Jesus who were preaching in the temple, but it just blew up after Stephen was killed. They had locked up, released, locked up, beaten, and released God's disciples for a while now, and, and finally they had, had said, they just said, Enough is enough. And they killed Stephen. And after that, we're told that a great persecution against the church sprang up in Jerusalem. But I want you to notice something. Stephen's death and this great persecution, though terrible, it did not surprise God. Remember, Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 10, you will be hated for my namesake. He also said in John 16, they will put you out of the synagogues and they will kill you thinking that they are offering service to God. And that's exactly what was taking place here. What happens here in Acts 8 is the fulfillment of Christ's words. We learn here that many in the Jewish community, many of the religious leaders at this time, hated any and everyone who was preaching or associated with Christ. And they were putting them out of the synagogues and putting them away in prison. And they were putting some to death. And all by this guy named Saul leading the charge. He truly believed that he was doing what he was doing was in the service of God. And although we don't have all the gory details of what took place, we know it was bad. And it scattered those believers everywhere. Luke tells us that these believers in Jerusalem, they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. Persecution was so bad that the believers were scattered all over the place, everywhere. And if you look at the end of verse 1, it says, except the apostles. That's good. The greatest of persecutions did not move them. They stayed. They were, they were courageous men. There was more work to do in Jerusalem and more people who needed to, to hear 
about Christ, more people who needed to be discipled, more believers who, who needed to be equipped. So the apostles stayed along with some others. But look at verse 2. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. This verse highlights the sadness at this time for the church and also the boldness of the faithful who remained in Jerusalem. We're told not only did they bury Stephen, but they made great lamentation over him. In this day, Jewish law um, prohibited the observances and funerals for any condemned criminals. Stephen had been condemned to die as a blasphemer and a lawbreaker. So these devout men buried him and lamented over him and did so with great personal risk. God allowed for many of the faithful to remain and minister in Jerusalem, and we know that the church, the church did remain, and it endured under this great persecution. Later, James, the brother of Jesus, became a pastor there. So many of the faithful remain in Jerusalem, but we're going to see that a great many of the faithful Christians were driven out of Jerusalem on to Judea and Samaria and elsewhere. And again, the, the one leading the charge against the church was Saul of Tarsus. Look at verse 3. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. The word ravaging here is a really strong word, and it means it's, that Saul was trying to rip the church apart. He was doing his very best to destroy Christ's church. He was entering house after house. He just went up and down the block, dragging people out of their homes, snatching them up, and dragging them off to prison. Saul had one goal, and that was to wipe Christianity out, to destroy the church, and imprison anyone and everyone who is associated with Christ and his church. And while Luke doesn't give us the specifics here on exactly what Paul did with these believers, Paul does in Acts 26. He says in verse 9 of Acts 26, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but that when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them, often in the synagogues, and, and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them, even the foreign cities. So he not only locked up many of these saints in prison, but he cast his vote against them to put them to death. He tortured them, and he tried to make them blaspheme. He says, in raging fury, I persecuted them to foreign cities. He chased them all over everywhere like a, like a man possessed. And notice something else here. Paul says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do these things. Paul thought he was doing right, but he was wrong. There are many in this world who say it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. They say, whatever you think is right is right for you. Well, that's not right. Paul was zealous. He was sincere. But he was, what he thought was right in torturing and persecuting these Christians was wrong. 
You can be sincerely wrong in what you believe. Did you know that? Paul thought that he was doing right. He thought he was offering service to God. But the truth was, he was persecuting him. Remember what Jesus told Saul in Acts 9? He said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He was wrong, and he didn't know it. So clearly this was a difficult time for the church. A great leader in their church had been killed, and this tight-knit group of believers had been scattered all over everywhere. And on top of that, you had this zealous Jew named Saul who was working tirelessly night and day, going up and down, house to house, snatching believers up all through Jerusalem and chasing them all over everywhere putting them in prison, persecuting them, and petitioning that they be put to death. So clearly this was a very scary time for believers. And aren't we kind of in similar circumstances now? Now, although we aren't being physically persecuted for our faith, we know that there are believers in this world who are. We know from our, our missionary in, in Nigeria, this exact thing is happening right now. And there's pressure on churches in America, too, to change, to meet what the world says is right. And there are many who are like Saul, sincerely believing that they're right. It's no longer popular to say that you're a Christian in some circles. And some people will definitely change the way they treat you when they find out that you are one. It's not physical but the psychological pressure on Christians to change is growing. But like we said earlier, we're going to learn here that God makes great work out of the worst situations. Look at point number two. Though Luke tells us of the, this great persecution of the faithful, he also highlights for us the great work of the faithful. Look at verse four. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. That's great, isn't it? The gospel was moving out. The word now could be translated therefore. It's a word that connects these two passages together. And it indicates that something resulted from something else. So get this, in verse 1 through 3, we learn that the church is being persecuted and the believers are being scattered everywhere. And then in verse 4 we see that as a result of, that, of being scattered, due to that persecution, they went about preaching the word. That word scattered in Greek is dispero, and is related to the Greek word sperma, which is a word for seeds. So this term is used for spreading and sowing seeds. And just like a seed doesn't grow, unless it's taken out and planted, these believers were like seeds scattered from their homes, families, and jobs, and planted in new places, sharing the good news in those places. And we need to remember that it wasn't all of a sudden that a bunch of Billy Grahams sprang up preaching in pulpits everywhere. Whatever they were doing, wherever they were, they would find opportunities in their conversations to talk about Jesus. That's how they were preaching. 
The persecution actually made matters worse for the ones doing the persecuting. This is cool. Just like, isn't it just like our God to use the very means these enemies of the cross used to try to put a stop to the gospel? Actually, God used to spread his gospel. They thought persecution would stop the gospel, but God used that persecution to spread it. Although his people were spread all over Judah, Judea and Samaria due to persecution, they were uh, right where God wanted them to be, doing what he had called them to do. Christ said in Acts 8.1, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria. John MacArthur said this about Acts 4. He said, Satan was doing his best to stop the spread of the gospel. And God was just checking off point number two in his plan. I love that. And look at verse five. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Philip was a great missionary for Christ and in the early church. And he was one of the seven that were chosen along with Stephen to lead the Christians in Jerusalem. He was a missionary and an evangelist and a prophet. He was a wonderful man of God, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom and of grace. And he was truly mission-minded to go to the Samaritans because many of the Jews despised the Samaritans. Samaria was in the north, and the Jews in the north were separated from the Jews in the south, after the reign of Solomon. And these northern Jews were defeated and were carried off into captivity by the Assyrians. And many of the pagans moved in behind them and then intermarried with the Jews that were there. And this mixed race of Jews and Gentiles became known as the Samaritan race. And many of the pagan beliefs of those Gentiles mixed in with those Jews. So they embraced a system of belief that was, that was very different from the, from the Jews in the South. The Samaritans rejected anything and everything in Scripture that spoke of the Jews in Jerusalem as being God's chosen people. And the temple in Jerusalem as being the preferred place of worship. And the, the Jews in the South, they hated them for this reason. Yet while these situations were true, these prejudices were true, that didn't stop Philip from going. He was an evangelist and a missionary to the Samaritans and laid away for God's work there. We're told that he went down and he proclaimed to them the message of Jesus. God did a great work there through him. Look at verse 6. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. The Spirit of God did a great work there. And Philip was doing great signs and preaching the gospel to them. And the Holy Spirit opened their eyes and hearts and minds of those people in Samaria. And we're told told here that these crowds in one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. Look at verse 7. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. 
So there were many in the crowd that were, were healed and delivered from those unclean spirits, and there were many who were paralyzed or lame that were healed. Sounds a lot like what was taking place during Jesus' ministry on earth. God was drawing attention of those hearers in Samaria to Philip for the purposes of receiving his gospel message. And we learn a great point of application here. Wherever God leads you, wherever he takes you, that's where he wants you to minister. No matter what the circumstances are, he allowed the things that happen, good or bad, his call on your life is to be witnesses to him. That call from Christ on our lives doesn't change with our circumstances. He simply says, you will be my witnesses, period. Persecution drove Philip to Samaria, and so Samaria is where Philip ministered. Same is true of us. If a job brought you to Jacksonville, then Jacksonville is where your ministry is. If God blessed you with children, then those children are your ministry. Friends and worker, co-workers that God has you with, there's your ministry. He's given you that purpose, that, that ministry for His glory. He has said to every one of us, you will be my witnesses. This is what God has called you to do. And if you want to know the where of ministry, just look around where you are. Look at your circumstances. Look at your family, your friends, and your job. Wherever God has you, that's where your ministry is. And those in the early church understood this. This is why the, the great persecution led to great ministry. And there's one more point that I want to show you in this passage. We've talked about the great persecution of the faithful, the great work of the faithful. Notice point number three, the great fruit of the faithful. Look at verse eight. So there was much joy in that city. God blessed Philip's efforts. Just like he did in Jerusalem, God used Philip's mighty works and his powerful message to save many of these Samaritans. He blessed the, the efforts done by disciples elsewhere as well. When tough times came, they did not put their faithfulness on the shelf. They remained faithful wherever they were thrown. And God blessed their efforts wherever they went. Now, unfortunately, we don't respond like this sometimes. When difficulties come, our faithfulness gets shelved. And the reason why is we fail to see the spiritual benefit of our trials. Because oftentimes, we're only looking at how that trial affects us. And not on how God can use and work through those trials in those difficulties. And as a result, our faithfulness to share the gospel gets put on hold. That was uh, not true of those in, these, in the early church that were scattered due to persecution. 
though they were driven out of their homes and away from their brothers and their sisters in Christ and from their families and their jobs, they saw God at work in and through their trials. They saw great opportunities that he presented him in the midst of those tough times. They knew that the work that God was doing was bigger. They knew that whatever happened, God's call on their life remained the same. Instead of viewing themselves as being displaced by persecution, they saw God's hand in the circumstances and understood that, that God was doing something greater with this difficult situation to open a door to spread the gospel in the world. And so they remained faithful, and God used their faithfulness through this dark and difficult time to grow his ministry and advance the kingdom of God. Is, is this how you see the mess in the world today? Do you remember that the world is cursed by sin and that all of these things that are taking place, that God is still at work in them? Do you remember that God's calling on your life in these difficult situations is to proclaim him, to spread the gospel? Do you remember that his calling is to share the hope that you have in the midst of the mess and not just resist and complain about the mess? Our trials today just pale in comparison to the hardship that these persecuted believers experienced. Brothers and sisters, we must not be distracted and sidelined. Our calling as Christians in these trials today is to preach Jesus. To tell of the incredible work that he did in and through the terrible and hopeless situations and circumstances that we have in this world around us. We're to share Jesus and that Jesus not only endured the agony of the cross, but the spiritual agony that was brought about by our sin and the wrath of God against that sin. As we sang this morning, he became sin who knew no sin and endured the wrath of God for us. He was crushed by God for us. And though he understood the horror of the cross before going to the cross, Christ also understood the spiritual benefit of the cross. And he went willingly and laid his life down. Though Christ, when he died on the cross, was the, the darkest day in human history, it was also the most glorious because through the cross, the impossible, making us right with God, was accomplished. Through the cross, Christ conquered sin and death and by enduring that sin and death for us so that through our faith in him, we could be dressed in his righteousness, faultless to stand before the throne of God. Once again at the cross, we see God bringing about his best work in the worst of the situations, in the worst of circumstances. Through the death of his son, God makes a way for us to be forgiven and makes a way for us to be made right with him. Through the death of his son, God provides us with life through him. 
The question I want to ask you today is, do you know him this way? Do you know God's son? Have you responded in faith to him? Have you been forgiven of your sins and have you been made right with God through him? Do you have eternal life in Christ? If not, I urge you today to surrender your life, turn it up and over to him and be saved. Let's pray.